with Street Garden Family. It's Pastor Dominic. So honored to have you join us for another podcast episode. We are hot in the trail of a brand new series called Living from His Presence. There is so much wealth and invaluable truth to be learned in the pursuit and the perpetual habitation of His presence. We pray that today's teaching would bless, encourage, and challenge you in your intimacy and knowledge of Jesus. You can follow us on all social media platforms to stay up to date with our latest content. Enjoy today's message. But we're going to start a new train of thought and it's um it's entitled Living from His Presence is the what I want to entitle it Living from His Presence, but tonight we're t- turn to your neighbor and say this, uh you need some rest. <laughs> Turn to somebody else and say, you need some rest. <laughs> I know anybody that has a newborn knows what I'm talking about, right? So it's like, you need some rest. Uh, you know, uh, the reason we're going to talk about rest tonight, and this is going to be really important, and uh, I know that uh, I want to, we have our media team that's helping me out. So I want to actually hit this um, right away in one second. I'll cue you up. Thank you so much for helping out. Um, When we're talking about rest, I want you to realize that I want to set a quick precedent that when God created the earth in Genesis 1, that, you know, it was the five days he's creating everything and then he makes man on what? The sixth day, okay? He makes man on the sixth day and then on the seventh day, if you're not familiar with it, he actually sanctified it and he rested from his work. Everyone say rested. He rested from his work and he actually, he sanctified the day and he blessed it. What does it mean to sanctify? He made it holy, He made a day holy. Like he was saying that this day, the seventh day, is different from all the other days. And I want you to know God doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because he's finished. Do you you know there's a difference? That that when God rests, he doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because he's finished. It's just kind of like if you saw a painter painting a portrait When they're done painting, what do they like to do? They like to stand back and rest and just look at it because the work is done. It's it's, it's rest because rest is when you get to enjoy what you've created. Did you know if God created man on the sixth day, that means his first full day as a human, as a created being was a day of rest. And you know what else is interesting is every day at the end of it, it would say it was morning and evening and it was a day. Do you know, guess, can you guys guess the only day it doesn't say that? The seventh day. Why wouldn't it say it on the seventh day? Because there's no eighth day, there's no ninth day, there's no tenth day. God actually designed us to live from a place of rest. And I want to even take it a step further that if he called it holy, a day of rest, that means that every unholy activity you're involved in is because you're doing it in a place that's not rest. 
that all unrighteous behavior is from a position of not being in rest. And what, do you, what are you trying to say, Pastor, about rest? How do I just rest? What does this mean? Well, God showed us that he was complete he was finished, and he actually designed the seventh day for man and God to enjoy what he had created. That God designed us to just live in joy of fellowship with him, and he made everything for us. And then what did man do? His man screwed that up. But God knew that man was going to screw it up, and then Jesus came, Right? And what did Jesus say in John 19, verse 28, or verse 31, John 19, 31, when he was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. He completed something. He completed something. Everyone say he completed something. So, so when man screwed up and got out of rest, God purpose to get Jesus to come and do what? Bring us back into rest. He wanted to bring us back to rest. How can I prove that? What did Matthew 11 say in verse 28? All ye who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. He came because he wanted to bring us to a place of rest. And I love the fact that John 19 says that it is finished because it's the only gospel account that tells us that Jesus said that. And I love, John wrote his gospel way after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John read Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts and he saw all that they were saying about the cross. And John's like, they didn't say the most monumental statement because who was the only disciple that was there? John. He was there when Jesus was being crucified. And you, you have to understand what was going on in heaven when Jesus said, it is finished. All the angelic host, all of the saints of old said, that's what he's been hiding from the beginning. That when Jesus said it is finished, and what is, what is the thing about creation? He created a, the, the earth and heavens in Genesis 1, but what does 2 Corinthians 5, 17 say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So just like creation took place with the heavens and the earth, Jesus came and he took the bruises. He took all of the beaten. He took the cross on and he did a finished work so that you could enter back into rest. And I want to talk about that tonight. And I want to show you how this is all throughout scripture and I heard this in my heart today as I was preparing that in Proverbs 3, verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. I heard the Lord say this to me tonight. We were just talking about John. Stop leaning on your own understanding and lean on the king's chest. Lean on the king's chest just like John. John would lean on his chest. You see, there's something about rest that's so profound that I think we could all agree that isn't it amazing when you get to get around people that you don't have to 
try, I, I know we shouldn't even live this way, but when you're meeting somebody new or something like that, there's a little bit more pressure to make like a good impression or something. But isn't it awesome when you can just be with people that you can let your hair down, you know, just be at rest. You don't have to be wondering if I say this, they're going to think it this way or you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just want to be with people that I can be at rest. That's what God's talking about. He wants us to come into his presence and not have a, a filter of sin, not have a filter of guilt, not have a filter of condemnation. He wants us to just come in his presence and be at rest, to enjoy him, to know that it's a finished work. So I want to show you something that's really powerful. You may have not seen this before. Some people that have been with me for a while know I've done a study on this before. But in, in Genesis chapter 5, there's the genealogy of Adam. And in this, uh, there's multiple names that, that we find. And I always joke with people, if you ever want to learn to speak in tongues, just read the genealogies out loud. It'll help you a lot. Methuselah, you know, you just start going down the line, like all these, uh, you, if you want to practice speaking in tongues, just read the genealogies in the Old Testament. It'll help you out greatly. But when we, when we go through this, and if, is, it, is, it, is there a chance it might not turn out right up there? If it, if it doesn't, it's, it's all good. I'll, it'll just be... Um, but the, the way that this works is the, the genealogy, I'm going to read these off to you. It says, the first one is, everybody say Adam. So Adam's the first one, and it's, it's 10 people. So it's Adam, and then the next one is Seth, and then the third one is Enosh, and then the fourth one is Kenan, and then the fifth one is Mahalahel, and then it's six is Jared, and then it's seven, which is Enoch, and there we go, it was just up there, Enoch, and then Methuselah, and then Lamech, and Noah. So do you see all 10 of these names up there? If you're taking, you can, you know, you, so, so this is what all their names mean, and this is the genealogy. Are you ready? So Adam, his name means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Kenan means sorrow, Mahalahel means the blessed God, and then Jared means shall come down, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah means his death shall bring, and Lamech means despairing, and Noah means rest. So do you see, these are um, 10 people in order that were born, and this is how the genealogy is, is put about. And right before we show the next slide, I want to show you that Methuselah, you know what's, he is the man that lived the longest in the Bible. I know I'm teaching you a little bit about the Bible right now. Nobody lived longer than uh, Methuselah, and did you know what his name means? What? His death shall bring. I want you to know that when he died is when the flood came. And what's even more interesting is he's the one that lived the longest, which would show that God gives people as much time to repent as possible, that he made this man supernaturally live longer than every other man to give other people time to repent. His death shall bring. And you know what's even, here's an even more funny fact, is that it says his death shall bring. His dad, Enoch, did you know Methuselah lived the longest and his dad outlived him? You're like, how does that happen? If he lived the longest, Enoch never died. <laughs> that he was translated, and guess what? Where, where is he at in the genealogy? Number seven. Because seven represents rest. 
And since seven represents rest, God never lets seven end because it's eternal. It's what God wants is for us to live in rest. So Enoch never died. He lived in rest. But isn't this so amazing that it says man and then appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching. So let's put the next slide to show how the genealogy literally prophesies to us. If you just put, this is what their names mean in order. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Are you ready? Do you see that? That God knew these, these jokers did not know what was going on. They're naming their kids and they're prophesying what God is going to do. And from the very beginning, that every generation, you're wondering what's going on, what's going on. And God has a plan. He has something going on that he is specifically picking people. That even when it's like, oh, you're going to name the kid despairing? That, what, what a horrible, but it's prophesying. It's prophesying that you think that things are going crazy and God says, I got this. I got this. He's down to every specific detail. But what does it say? He, the whole gospel is bringing us back to rest. This is what God wants. He wants his people to be at rest in his presence, to enjoy him, to know him for who he is and just be in that place. Is that beautiful or what? To see. Thank you so much, media team. Thank you for that. So, with that being said, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, I want to read something that we've already hit on as I was talking, but just to put eyes on it. It says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Did you know God, during creation, he only blessed two things? He only blessed two things when he created everything. He blessed man and then he blessed the Sabbath. There was the only two things he blessed. You know what's significant about that? Is when Jesus came to the earth, what did he tell us in John 14? That the Father and I want to make our what? Our home in you. So what's, what's so special about that is God blesses places where he wants to rest. Where he wants to dwell. He, he, he dwells in a place of rest and that's why you hear his voice the clearest when you're at rest within yourself. You see, so many times we're thinking that in order to have rest that we need tranquil situations, that we need all this, but Jesus shows us something so powerful in Mark chapter four that when there's a crazy storm going on, what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. It's the only time in scripture we find Jesus sleeping, that it's documented, and it's during a chaotic storm. And you know what? Jesus isn't out rebuking the storm. He actually, it's actually helping him sleep. Sleep. <laughs> 
I bet a lot of you didn't realize that, you know, the craziness of life is actually an opportunity to know the rest of God. That some of us are, once again, we're so, we're so busy fighting battles he's already won. We're, we're, he, he, and, and John, and just, you don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, John 16, which is a verse I know a lot of people know very well, but just to quote it, Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you that in me, everyone say in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> it's, a, it's a guarantee. It's a God guarantee <laughs> that in the world, you'll have tribulation. He says, but this is why I'm telling you that in me, you can have peace. That when everything's going crazy around you, guess what? In your heart, I made that a new garden, the garden that I made that I walked with Adam in and in the cool of the day, you can open up your word, you can get on your hands and knees and you can have peace with me. You can have a rest with me. Is that beautiful? Every, everybody in this room has access to it because he's no respecter of person. His blood has made it available that you can come into his presence and rest. And it goes on to say, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So when craziness is going on in your life, you have to stare it in the face and say, he already told me we won. He already told me that you can take your best shot. But guess what? I, you, I love that Jesus says that we're the light of the world. Did you know he's the light of the world? You know what's amazing about light? You can't touch it. You're untouchable to the enemy because you're the light of the world. He tries to get you all worked up over natural circumstances. He tries to make it seem, but I want you to know that there is a, there is a peace and there is a rest that is found with discipline. It takes discipline though. I hope you all hear me that this is, that when you come into atmospheres like this, there are people that are praying. There are people that are in tune with the spirit and you can tap into, you know, uh, upgird with what other people are doing, but there's going to be a time you're alone with your own thoughts, with your own, your own struggles in between the ears, and you're going to have to know what to do. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, it says, he who keeps his mind stayed on the Lord, he will keep him in perfect peace. He who keeps his mind stayed on the Lord. Did you know you can have your mind on the Lord while you're driving? Do you know why? He'll make you a better driver, and you really should, because, uh, you know, we've all seen, we've, there's been a lot of accidents in this church. Like, no, just say, it's actually true, but, it, but if you keep your mind stayed on the Lord, he'll make you better at everything. And when we were reading that genealogy before, what does Noah's name mean? He's the, he was the, God's grand finale of creation was rest. Isn't that crazy? That, you know, when you go to a, uh, we just had 4th of July, right? And what does everybody want to see? They, they're waiting for the grand finale. And God's grand finale is rest. It's like, God, what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? He's like, enjoy me. Enjoy me. And some of you don't compute, but I'm here to tell you that when you start knowing who he is, 
you start realizing how lame this world is. Come on, can I get a witness? That as soon as you get in the presence of God, you're like, what was I doing? Marijuana and cocaine got nothing on Jesus. I'll tell you what, that my, my most plastered nights, have, they don't even come close to his presence, to what he can do. That, that the depression, that me trying to even be impressive to people or trying to be this, it's just when you get before him and you realize it's so freeing. So Isaiah 26.3, this discipline, he who keeps his mind stayed on the Lord. So what is your responsibility? Focus on him and what does he do? Perfect peace. Sound like a good deal? So next time you don't have peace, if you wouldn't claim it as a definition of perfect, start resting. Start getting your attention on him. When we were talking about Noah, you know another word for rest? Comfort. And remember, what did Jesus say in John 14, 26? He says, but the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our best friend. Anybody that limits the role of the Holy Spirit, you're in for major turbulence and tribulation and you are not going to do well. The Holy Spirit guides us and helps us. And I want to just give everybody a quick reality check when it comes to dreams and purposes that God has for us. Did you, you know, so many times there's people in the room that are like, my dream is to be you know, this or to be that and they'll go through careers or I want to be a singer or I want to be, uh, you know, a preacher. I want to be a doctor and all that stuff's great. It's great. But do you think when Noah was growing up, he was like, I really want to build an ark one day. I want to be a great ark builder. Do you think Abraham, when he was a kid, he's like, I really want to sacrifice my son one day. When you're following God, it's so important that you realize that the most, the most triumph act that you do in life might not be the thing that you've really deemed up to be your career or thing. It could be a single act that the Lord has prepared your whole life for. It could be the most signature, noble thing of your life. And that's why we have to be very watchful not to culturalize things and just champion, you do this, do this. No, the thing that we want to champion is you need to hear the voice of God. Because if we all hear the voice of God and play our part and somebody's got to build an ark, all right, you build that ark because, you know, that means a flood's coming. You know, it's like, you know, we just do what God's placed in our heart because when it says that God would bring rest and comfort, what was the rest and comfort you see, there's always two sides of a coin that we have to realize that when Noah built the ark and the flood came, Noah saw God's mercy and grace, but everybody that wasn't prepared saw his judgment. When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, Abraham saw God's mercy when Lot came home. 
but everybody else saw his judgment. The righteous, when they're resting in God, you're gonna see a lot of things happen around you that just don't seem, wow, why did that happen? Why did that happen? You just have to know it's so important that you know that you have a covenant with, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and there's gonna be shots fired from the enemy. There's gonna be things going on, but you and your house are going to rest in his presence. You're gonna know him so intimately. Are you hearing me tonight? That God desires you to rest in him. And the only two things he blessed, like we said, was he blessed man and then he blessed the seventh day. And his whole goal was to get man back to rest. Isn't it just so interesting how we are so we always think that there's more to do. You don't have permission to put a comma where God put a period. When he said it is finished, it wasn't open for discussion. In fact, he breathed his last breath so nobody could interject. <laughs> he said it is finished. I'm gone. <laughs> like nobody can say, oh, I got a word, Jesus. You know, like nobody, nobody could, and nobody could just intervene. He's just like, I'm out. And when I come back, I'm making my home in you. I heard a minister say this a long time ago. You know, isn't it so beautiful that you only, if, if you were the king of kings and the Lord of lords, you could choose anywhere you want to live, anywhere you want to be. And he chooses to be in you. And you think that you're, you're too far gone, you think that you're not good enough, you think, and he says, I, this, is, this is a great place to hang out. I wish you would really stop thinking that way. I paid the price for that. I would love to talk to you about it, how it's, how it's done. We gotta start really living from done instead of only cutting the word in half, right? Do. So many want to do, but the do will come from the done. You know, you'll, you'll do works for the Lord. There'll be fruit in that. But is that helping people tonight? I want you to turn to Genesis 6 while you're right there. Just to read about Noah. As you're turning there. My wife can attest to this way more than me, but in Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, it says that we are to actually labor into rest. Isn't that crazy? You know why my wife can attest to this more? You know when, has anybody tried to get a newborn to sleep? A baby to sleep? It's like a, it's a whole circus act. It is. All of a sudden, bouncing, uh, getting awkward positions. Oh, I think he likes that. You know, I think she likes that. Oh, uh, turn, the, turn, turn the, the sound machine up and then it's really loud. It's like a whole ordeal because you have to labor into rest sometimes. Has anybody ever laid in bed at night and wanted to go to sleep, but your mind is an amplifier? That you are so bogged down by what you have to do the next day that next day is calling you before you're even there. 
it's because you're not living in rest. And I want to show you a couple verses and what, right after we read about Noah here, because his name literally means rest, so I think we should, you know, learn something from him, right? Um, it says, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And there's a, a really crazy study on that, but we're not going to get into that tonight. But then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Everyone say his heart. This is the first time the word heart appears in scripture, is in Genesis 6. You know what's so fascinating about that? As soon as man's heart appears, guess what the next verse says? And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. This shows that man's state of heart directly affects God's state of heart. This is big. That when you feel all alone in a situation, when you feel like the enemy loves to isolate people. People that are even watching online or whatever. This happens all the time, and I want to get practical real quick. Sometimes you could be like, you know what, I just don't feel like going to church tonight. And I'm not just saying church alone, but church is big because it, it, it's accountability. It's where the Spirit of God rests on his people. You know, you can have private moments, and that's every day, and that's powerful. But there's something important. The Bible says to not forsake the fellowship of the brethren, so stop doing it. But, <laughs> but the one thing that you need to realize is what will happen is I'll just take off one night. I won't go. And then guess what happens? Next week, something comes up at work. You're not able to be there two weeks in a row. Then the next thing, you're, you're not there for a month. And then guess what? You're, you're training yourself that it's not a big deal. And the enemy starts creeping in and he isolates you like a sheep. And he's about to devour you because he knows if you're getting away from the pack that you won't You'll feel, I, I, I'm, I'm not even joking, Jackie and I can testify that there's been people in the past that we've known, and if you've done this to us, I apologize, but like, but like we've had people that, you know, would stop coming to a place we were ministering at or going for a little while, and we would see them in a parking lot somewhere, and we would say, hey, how's it going? And they would run away from us because they felt condemned. And I'm just like, I love you, bro. <laughs> like, please, like, if anybody knows me, they would know, like, why is somebody running from? Like, what is going on? Like, I literally love you, man. Like, as you're running away, Jesus loves you. But people get so condemned and they don't want to face, they don't even want to deal with coming up with an excuse or, or whatever. And there's no condemnation. Just we love you. But the enemy gets in people's heads and tries to isolate them from rest. But Psalm 23 says that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack. And what does he do? He leads me into green pastures and he leads me beside still waters and it restores my soul. Why does he lead you beside a still water? So you see your reflection. And guess what else you see in the reflection? You see him, because he's leading you. Yeah. We talked about this at the men's group. Did you know in this room, you've never seen yourself with your own eyes? You've trusted a reflection your whole life. 
You've never seen yourself with your own eyes. Did you know what the Bible is? The Bible is our mirror because God designed us to not see ourselves with our own eyes. He designed us to trust the mirror of his word to reveal who we are. Jesus is who's in the mirror. And when you wake up, what, what do you do in a mirror when you wake up in the morning? You're like, oh man, I got some eye crust pies. You know, we talk about the eye crust pies. You like wake up and it looks like there's like bugs. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> You're like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> Jackie wakes up horror movies. But, but eye crust pies, you know, you make sure there's not a boogie hanging from your nose. You know, you make sure your, your hair is done. You know, you go to fadeaway barber and get, you know, get, <laughs> get cleaned up. Uh, Shout out to Nate. But it's just a, but you just, you get some things together, right? In a mirror. So what happens when you read the word in the morning? It should be like, oh, I, I'm not, I need to get this together because this is who I really am. This is what I know I'm supposed to look like. And you get the mirror of the word. You find rest in his image. You find rest in him. That when you feel like you're less than, you look at him so he empowers you to be who you're called to be. God does his best work when you're at rest. Did you know Adam, when God brought Eve into Adam's life, Adam's greatest blessing? Guess what? God put a deep sleep upon him and brought Eve because God does his best work when you're at rest. All those that are single in the room that are trying to find a spouse, stop. He does his work better when you're at rest. If you try to find it, you'll pick the wrong one probably. And that sucks. <laughs> Can anybody testify? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, just being real, that's a big decision. You don't want, you got to make sure that you're in a place of rest, that you're in a place of, and that's why you want to make sure, that's what's so beautiful about a body that loves the Lord, that people are, are focused on Jesus and then the Lord reveals, the Lord does the work when you're at rest, but when you're anxious, and let me read a couple of verses to you. Um, is, once again, are we helping anybody? I feel like this is really good tonight. I'm just enjoying myself. So uh, don't mind if I do. Uh, Let me share just a few, few more thoughts with these scriptures. Hebrews 12, 2, or you don't have to turn there, but when Jesus said it was finished, we read in Hebrews 12 that looking unto Jesus, the what? The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and what did he do? He sat down at the right seat of majesty on high. So what did Jesus do when he finished? What do you do? He rested. What does it say in Ephesians 2 6? Where does God place us? God says that you are what? Seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why? Because He wants you resting in what He's done. There's a lot of people that are throwing a bunch of punches when they're supposed to be in a spiritual coma with Jesus. <laughs> There's something so special about being in his presence because when you can hear what he's saying, you can silence the enemy 
with one word from him rather than a whole bunch of methods of your own. You can, you can slam the tambourine all night and wave the flags all around, but it's until you listen to him and obey him is when you're free. You can take a bath in anointing oil, can do all this stuff, and I'm all for all that. It's all great. But it all comes down to obeying his voice and listening, and that's rest. Because what... And, as we're reading these verses, the, I know you, if you all were still in Genesis 6, it says that he was sorry. And then in verse 7, it says, so the Lord said, I will destroy man who I'm created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Everyone say that. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How could you read this? that rest found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That it's in a place of rest, Noah being in rest, that it's in this place of rest that God's grace is given. And then it says in verse nine, this is the genealogy of Noah, that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. You know the last person that walked with God in scripture right before this was Enoch. He was the only other one that you'll find walked with God and he walked with God so much that he just walked right out of the world into eternity. Just kept walking. Did you know that you can walk with God in such a place that you walk out of the problems of the world? That you might still be in the problems of the world but you've literally walked out of them? That it's you're walking on the water of your problems? but you're not drowning in the water of your problems. You know what I'm saying? That what's so beautiful about water is water's not supposed to support you, right? It's not supposed to support you, but when God says come, the things that weren't able to support you all of a sudden are because when he says come, the word overpowers every natural law. Everything in your life that you think isn't able to get you by, the finances you have, the things that you got, God will call you and you will be able to be supported by things you never thought you were because it's not things that support you, it's his voice. When his voice calls you, he calls you, he summons you. When the ears of your heart make contact with the sound waves of his voice, you're summoned into your destiny. M Matthew 11 again, verse 28 through 30. Just hear, close your eyes as I read this to you. Come to me. Come to me. I can see Jesus just saying this with the, the most inviting face. Come to me. Come to me. What? Open your eyes. <laughs> I want to show you something. My beautiful wife, come here. If, if Jackie and I are, 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 are just walking, like walk next to me. You see... We can be walking, we can be with each other, we can even be talking, but if she turns to me and says, come to me, I would be like, what's going on? It would be an embrace, you know? And when, when you're married, do you know how much a hug means? Yeah. I know Jackie's like probably squeezed and saying amen. You know what I'm, like, you know, <laughs> come to me means not just be around, it means you need to, you need to come to me. Remember, what did John do? He leaned his head on the bosom. 
You know what, and you know what's so amazing about a bosom that it says is that a bosom is literally the, the seat of your emotions. That when John would lay his head on Jesus' bosom, that he was the only one that literally heard the heartbeat of God. That when you get close to him, and when, he's, when, when you're in life and you're not just around the things of God, but you actually come to him, you know how many people just need to be held? You, you know, thank you, honey. So many, you, so many times there's people that are in prayer and like they're, they're doing so much in prayer and going through things they've taught. Now, I'm all for intercessory prayer. I'm all for, you know, tearing strongholds down. I'm all for it. Like, go for it. You know, let's do it. Like, ex, you know, I, I heard Bill Johnson say this one time and it really impacted me. He said that, he said that God sometimes gets you to act in authority by revealing something that we need to go after together. But then the next week he'll, he'll get you to receive something to reveal your identity as a child. So he's either trying to show your authority as a warrior or he's trying to show your identity as a child. And he says, I, he says, I don't know what to tell you. So just try both and see which one works. <laughs> it was just his joking way of saying, but what, what I'm getting at is there's a lot of times in prayer that we're going through like, I think I heard pastors say this or do this. And sometimes you just need to let them hold you. You know, I was telling Joey uh, right before service started, I was playing drums. I was telling him that one of the most rewarding things about being a dad is when I'm holding my son or my little girl and they don't want to leave. That's like my favorite thing. And since my little boy, you know, he just sleeps a lot. It's awesome. He'll just like rest on my chest and it's, a, it's so good. My little girl, it's a little fight sometimes now, but... I enjoy when she just wants to be held. How much more does God want to hold you when you're in your prayer time? Like you're like trying to act like a macho man or a macho woman with all, all your stuff. And he's just like, can I hold you? You actually sound like you're a little wound, you know, tightly wound right now. You know, you're, you're like really going to town on a bunch of things. And I just really want to hold you. <laughs> I know you're, you're probably thinking this isn't how God is. It's a, God is a lover. He's a father. He wants to be known as a father and he wants to hold you because he wants to bring you to a place of rest. The, so close your eyes again. <laughs> Come to me, all you who labor and heavy are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You're, with your eyes closed, you're, you're saying, Pastor, I want this rest. How do I get this rest? He already invited you. How do you get rest? You come to him. You go to him. What does that look like? That means you can open your eyes. How can you come to him? You go to the word. Jesus is the word. Come to the word and the word will give you rest. It'll reveal promises. You can shut the door, as it says in Matthew 6, shut the door to a room or to the office Get alone with Jesus. Some, some people, it might be so crazy at home, you might need to go in your car and just shut the door. It might be, some people might be at a place they don't have a car, don't have a, a home. You know, you get in the wilderness. Turn any situation into the promised land. The promised land is not a location it is wherever his presence rests.
take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus wants to teach you something. I am gentle and lowly in heart. What? Why don't you teach me how to like throw stars up in the sky? I will. I'm gentle. And I'm so humble. Don't sound humble. Sounds like you're bragging about it. No, no, but this is, he's humble. He didn't come to show us how to, he didn't come to show us that you need to be humble. He came to show us he is humble. That's so beautiful. And he says, you will find what? Rest for your souls. I, I, there's people in this room, that's why we did that altar call. Do you know there's so many people that are living in torment with their thoughts and what other people have said about them. There's people in this room that somebody said something about you years ago or it could have been recently and it's been going off in your head. Like if you could have did something wrong at work and somebody said something that wasn't a big deal at the moment and later you're like, wow, I really am. I really do suck at that or I really am a fail you know you don't realize what people go through and what's going on in their mind what spouses had said and they haven't even directed they there might be in this room you know in marriages there might be be certain comments that get said that actually affect you and it might be a conversation you need to have in the presence of the Lord just say you know what that really bothers me when you say that I know you might not mean it but you know what? I'm just being real you do some be vulnerable and get free and get rest in his presence he wants to give you rest for your souls because a soul is a noisy place without the presence of God. A soul is a dungeon without the presence of God. A soul without the presence of God is just pre-gaming hell. It's torment. If you don't have his presence invading your heart, the enemy will fill what you're not letting him fill. Let him come in. Let him give you rest. Thank you, Lord. Worship team, you can come up. I just want to read one last thing. In Matthew 12, right after Jesus does Matthew 11, where we just talked about, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. In the very next chapter, you'll find a similar theme by the Pharisees. They always got mad at Jesus when he healed people on the Sabbath day. Isn't that so ridiculous? They would get mad at him for restoring people on the Sabbath day. And what's amazing about the word restore, everybody? What's the first four letters of restore? Rest. Restoration is bringing you back to rest. And when you see that in Matthew 12, right after Jesus is having a heated discussion with the Pharisees, it says in verse 9, he had departed from there and went into their synagogue and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. Everyone say withered hand. And they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? 
Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Everyone say, stretch out your hand. So on the Sabbath day, what is Jesus purposefully doing? He's restoring people on the Sabbath to show that in a place that I destined for there to be rest, there's now going to be perpetual rest. You know why this is so good? Because when Jesus does at the very beginning, when he says, when he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news. Do you know one of the last statements? He says, I've come to preach the year of Jubilee. You know what he was saying is I'm, I'm preaching the year of Jubilee because when Jubilee happens, all debts are forgiven and you're brought to a place of perpetual rest. So this man, what did we just say? How do you get restored? Where does rest come? When you come to Jesus and on this day that people are thinking they're not supposed to work or move, what does Jesus do? He tells this man to what? Stretch out his hand. Tonight, there's people in this room, you need to stretch out your hand, you need to stretch out your situation, you need to stretch out and say that, Lord, I want this rest that I hear about tonight. I know that in between the ears, in my, in, in my heart and soul, there, it's, been, it's been tireless and toil. I know there's people in this room, and I know we did an altar call earlier for that. If you would just bow your heads. I love this with your eyes closed. In Psalm 116, seven, it says, return to your rest, O my soul. Can you say that out loud? Return to your rest, O my soul. You see, what is David doing? He's telling his soul what to do. He's telling his soul that you're gonna return to rest. You're gonna rest in the presence. And then it goes on to say, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Why does he want you to return to rest? Because Tell your soul to return to the place because God has already paid the price for you to fully enjoy his presence. He's already made it so bountiful for you. Just come to me and I'll give you that rest. So.